Let's pray again. Father, thank you for the testimonies represented even in this room this morning of how the cross has transformed us. Thank you that what we once were, we are no longer in Christ. And Father, thank you for the great privilege now of studying our Bibles together. Thank you for this wonderful account of the very words of our Lord Jesus, carefully recorded by Matthew. Would you use it to highly impact us today as we listen carefully and then as we carefully implement these truths into our lives today. We give this time to you as an act of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder if you've ever given any thought uh, to what would happen if the sun stopped to shine. It is very interesting to Google that question and see what you come up with. What would happen if the sun stopped shining? There's um, all kinds of uh, information from uh, folks who are astronomers who have some sense of what would happen and how important the sun is to our universe and to our world. As we live, there's also, of course, a whole market given to the cataclysmic events of the end of the world that might include the sun not shining. I happen to a blog site by Astro Bob. I have no idea who Astro Bob is, but he blogs about such things as what would happen if the sun stops to shine. Now, it's interesting, um, Astro Bob uh, really encouraged me in, in his article because he said, don't worry, because if the sun were able to be flipped off with a switch, you know, like somebody hit a switch and just shut it off, which he said would be literally impossible, and in fact, it will take billions of years for the sun to finally burn out. Um, I don't think Bob reads or believes the Bible, but he said if you could flip a switch and turn off the sun, don't worry, you have eight more seconds of sunlight because the sun is 193 million miles away and if light is shooting down from the sun at, uh, what is the speed, 186,000 uh, miles per second, it would take eight seconds for the light that was last leaving the sun once the switch was flipped to reach the earth. And so you have eight seconds of light. And I thought, good, I can find a flashlight maybe in eight seconds. That's good. He said, also, don't worry, you have another 1.3 seconds of light before it goes absolutely pitch dark because the sun, as it shines, reflects evidently. I have no idea if Astro Bob is telling the truth here, but this is what it says, that the sun shines off the earth. I read it on Al Gore's internet, so I'm pretty sure it's right. But the sun shines down to the earth and the earth reflects the light back to the moon and then and then it takes 1.3 seconds for it to reflect back so there's 2.6 seconds that take place there for that bam bam of light to take place and so once the eight seconds is up then another 1.3 seconds of light from the moon so you got 9.3 seconds to find your flashlight that's very encouraging maybe maybe not uh, he says that it would get very very cold um, he says that um, after about a week, it would be zero degrees Fahrenheit. Evidently, there's enough warmth in the earth that it would take about a week for everything to get down to about zero degrees. And then after that, it would make its way down to about minus 100. And he said what he would do is take and pitch his family in a tent out in Yellowstone next to the, the geysers and the steam baths out there, the steam fountains, and uh, that way he could stay warm a little bit longer. I don't know if Astro Bob is reliable. He also had a blog I noticed there that I did not take time to read on, entitled, What Would Happen, uh, What to Do If You Are Abducted by Aliens? 
So, um, and I think he took it seriously. Um, I'm not sure, but anyway, there you hear it from Astro Bob, billions of years for it to burn out. It really is impossible for it to happen. I have news for Astro Bob. That does not line up with the teaching of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. I invite you to turn to Matthew 24 as we pick up a sermon that, um, that we started uh, really about at least a month ago. Uh, you'll recall that last week we had our 26th anniversary, and what a good time with Bill Rudd. Thank you for being here if you were here. I know not everybody could be here. It was a holiday weekend, um, and what a good time we had of testimonies and food last Sunday night. The week before that, two weeks ago today, you'll recall, and if you flip your notes on the back side of your notes, I copied uh, the chart that was on our notes two weeks ago as a reminder of kind of the timeline that we see unfolding in Scripture. And two weeks ago today, we just stopped and we took some time to compare and analyze the difference between what we call the rapture of the church, that word that's not in the Bible, but that teaching of Christ returning for his bride, he's the groom, the church is the bride, and as Christ returns for his bride, there's this, this uh, concept presented, particularly in 1 Thessalonians 4, of this catching away or this snatching away. And that's the Latin word rapture that we get an English word out of a Latin word that, that has to do with this catching away. And it's really interesting, and it appears in Scripture that that is the event that will trigger God's shift in his attention from the church back to Israel for that final seven-year period. And we've been talking about uh, our Lord's teaching in Matthew 24 and 25 as he is giving answers to a question that the disciples asked. They actually asked, asked a couple of questions. But Mark chapter 13, verse 3 tells us that this is Peter, James, John, and Andrew who have gotten our Lord aside on the Mount of Olives and now chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew, these are long chapters, are an extensive report of what Matthew wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of our Lord explaining what will be the signs of his return at the end of the age. Now, if you've been around three or four weeks ago, you know that I was really having trouble getting off of uh, letter A of our outline uh, about the abomination of desolation, one of the great signs in verse 15 that he's telling the disciples this abomination of desolation will take place. And so that's why when you look down at your notes, it's not a typo that we're picking it up at letter B of our outline. We finally got through letter A and the abomination of desolation. And actually, we did take care of letter B and C. And I put them in there so we could have a little running start here this morning. And uh, the first lady of the church... Um, Gave me, gave me a word of advice this morning early when we were uh, getting prepared for the day. She said, you know, it would be really good if you would finish this sermon outline today. And I have good news. I made it in the first service. And almost on time. I, I'm so pleased. I don't think you're impressed. <laughs> it's not about me at all. And, and, and I want you to see that Jesus Christ is indeed lifted up in this passage. What a mighty and wonderful Lord Jesus we have. So in your mind, you're understanding that our Lord is answering the disciples the signs of his return. We've already talked about the, the abomination of desolation. 
And you can click on and listen to some of these things. And we've talked about the tribulation period as well. Our text today begins in verse 21. Let's read verses 21 to 31. And we're going to click off in our Lord's own words, more signs of his return. What to look for. What, what not to be deceived by. For then, at the time of his coming, verse 21... For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then, verse 23, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if it were possible, even the elect, believers in Christ. So I have told you, be and see, I have told you beforehand. So don't, don't be deceived. I've told you, you're going to see this. Watch for it. Don't let it fool you. Verse 26. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I believe that this teaching is very much about that second coming of Christ. I do not believe that... Jesus is addressing the catching away of his church, his bride. It's a special agenda for his bride. What an incredible passage of scripture, including our Lord's specific word that the sun is going to be darkened. It's interesting. Well, let's just think through where we've been. Verse 21 talks about this time of tribulation that is so bad that there's never ever been a time like it. There never will be another time like it. The world has never seen a time like it. Of all of the horrible times that have ever happened, there's nothing like it. And it is a time, letter B, in your outline of unimaginable trouble. We've already talked about this and will not take time to review it. I believe this is a statement of future expectation. And in fact, if you recall, three weeks ago, we ended our sermon by reading Revelation chapter 16 on this point, and you can reread it. It's written in your notes there. Revelation chapter 16, you'll recall, is that passage where the third set of judgments that are talked about in Revelation, um, and they get more and more specific as they unfold, the third set of judgments called the bowl judgments. And the imagery is of, of a huge bowl in heaven. And it's filled with, with the destructive unbelievable, explosive, flammable gasoline of his wrath. And he calls on these mighty angels, and these mighty angels come, and they spill these bowls of wrath on the earth. It's a word picture. And it's unbelievable what is described in Revelation chapter 16. And you read it, and you'll have to agree with me, I believe, that there's, it's, there's no time in history that is comparable with that, globally speaking. And you'll see there that that unimaginable trouble that is represented as the Lord pours out his wrath 
on a horribly sinful world, a world that has rejected him, a world that has worshipped the Antichrist as he has committed the abomination of desolation and set up a, a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies in Israel, in the new temple that they will build going into that time frame. And, and the false prophet... The Antichrist will have a right-hand man called the false prophet, and that prophet will use the number 666 to identify everybody who bows down and worships the beast or the Antichrist who has set up an image of himself. And globally, there will be this worshiping of the Antichrist directed by Lucifer, Satan himself. And, and as this ends... The disciples want to know, what's it like at the end? What's it like? You have to have the abomination of desolation. Now the birth pains will be going on. Earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of war. But it hasn't come yet. It hasn't come yet. Then there's going to be the abomination of desolation. And then after the abomination of desolation, the tribulation will increase. And it will be time of horror that is indescribable. And he goes on to say that it is also, letter C, unsustainable horror. It's unsustainable horror. He says, Look at, let your eyes go to your Bible. And had, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. You see, there will be people saved in the book of Revelation. It's clear there that, that there are going to be evangelists from every tribe of Israel. God's focus is going to be on the Jewish people. Once again, in the tribulation period, that seven-year window. And that, that is why it's called the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel prophesied. And, 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 and that seven year period, the first three and a half years will be characterized largely by peace and by peace treaties and by a reordering of, of global politics. I think there will be some difficult things that will happen during that time, but at that time of the commitment of the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will launch himself above all others and he will rise up and he will dominate as a world dictator. And at that point, there will be a persecution of any who believe in Christ that is beyond any persecution that has taken place. And even in Revelation 16, in the end of Revelation, the martyrs from the tribulation period, those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, First and Second Thessalonians make clear to us in the beginning of Second Thessalonians, Paul told them, the great restrainer of sin will be removed. Evidently, there will be a loosening of the holding back of sin by the Holy Spirit and with the church gone from the world as we know it now. That is a restrainer of sin. You do know that you are a restrainer of sin yourself. I've seen it so many times in my life. I've told you about milking cows with all my pot-smoking hippie friends back in the 70s in Michigan and the dairy farm. And those boys were never so good as when they worked with me in the morning. They didn't do their bad pictures and they didn't stop and do their bad smoke breaks and they didn't they they knew I was the squeaky clean preacher's kid there every time they cussed they would say oh sorry about that man I didn't I was just there restraining sin the church restrains sin everywhere you are the church restrains sin you hold back sin the church will be gone the sin will take over the world but God will raise up evangelists God will raise up people who will preach Christ and, and Israel particularly will turn to Christ and then the Antichrist because they refuse to worship the beast because they refuse to take the mark 666 he will slaughter them it will be a bloodbath and there will be so many martyrs. In the, and then the, combined with the wrath of the bowls of God's judgment that we read in Revelation 16, it is unsustainable horror that will take place. 
And for the sake of the elect, there's 144,000 evangelists is what goes in the blank on number one. 144,000 evangelists, Jews and Gentiles alike will be saved. Most will be martyred. Number two, the days will be cut short, God says in verse 22. God sovereignly allows only three and a half years for this time period of great tribulation, great tribulation. Now we continue as the disciples listen intently and our Lord continues. Okay, I haven't come back yet. I haven't come back yet, he says. You got the, you got the birth pains are going on. Birth pains are increasing. Labor is increasing of the sin of the world. We've had the abomination of desolation. We now are experiencing the pouring out of God's wrath on the earth in a way of tribulation that the world has never ever seen before. It is incomparable. And then he says in verse 23... Then if anyone says to you at this time, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Okay, so what's going to happen during this time is that the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to actually, under Satan's demonic power, going to be able to do miracles. One thing that's going to happen is the Antichrist himself is evidently going to be assassinated. There's been a lot of play with this in, in, in writing and in Christian novels. I can remember back when I was at a, about in fifth grade, I wasn't old enough to be in youth group. Our youth group at our little Bible church was reading together as a youth group a book that was a hot item back then in the early 70s by a guy named Salem Kerbin. And the book was called 666. And it had pictures from like a Billy Graham movie and stuff. And I used to grab my brother's book and look at it and it scared me to death. And what would happen is, uh, evidently in there, it's implied in the book of Revelation that the, that the beast is going to receive a wound. And the wound is going to kill him and he's going to be there for all the world to see dead. Now that was a little bit troublesome years ago for preachers. How could the whole world see this event? Was it going to happen up in the sky? How is it going to happen? And then TV came along, television came along, and, and they began to imagine, you know, somebody could film it, and then it could be on news shows all around the world. Um, but the idea in the book of Revelation is that it will be real time. The whole world will be able to see. Uh, we, have, we have the Internet, don't we? And we have smartphones. And I've told you about being in the bush of Malawi and way out in the boondocks and some dear African man will be walking down the path. He doesn't even own a pair of shoes. He has a raggedy pair of shorts on, no underwear, and maybe a t-shirt. And in his hand, he has a smartphone. He is dirt poor and he owns a smartphone. And there's cell towers all across rural Africa. Everywhere you go. And the world will watch. And the world will watch. In real time, and the Antichrist, after he is evidently assassinated, is going to rise back to life or be raised back to life by Lucifer himself. I don't know if God gives him the power to reinstill true breath of life in him or the breath of a human being back in him, or if he will be somewhat, you could imagine, somewhat zombie like in that he is uh, demonically brought back to life. I, I don't know. There's lots of ways of thinking about that. Right now, we don't know how all of this will unfold exactly. And you get these snippets of, of imagery. But these are the kinds of miracles that will take place. And it says, if it were possible, even 
to deceive the elect, God's people. In other words, God's people in their hearts are going to watch this stuff happen. And they're going to see the power of the Antichrist. And they're going to see the, the tremendous, miraculous power of Satan working out through the false prophet. And they're going to be in hiding. And they're going to be running for their lives because they refuse to take 666. And they won't worship the beast. And in their hearts, they're going to be tempted to say, wow, maybe he is the Christ when he's really the false Christ. But Jesus says to them, look what he says, verse 25, but see, I have told you beforehand, know this, even if you see all these miraculous powers, even if you're tempted to believe it, even if they say, verse 26, look, he's here in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's here in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So what we have is after this unsustainable horror, letter D, we have unbelievable reports. Really, that point probably would be better termed unreliable port. Unreliable reports. What I mean by unbelievable reports is they're very believable, but don't believe them. You're not to believe these reports. So really, unreliable maybe communicates the point there a little bit better. You're going to hear these reports, but they are not reliable. Christ is not in the wilderness. Christ is, in other words, guys... You heard it here first. He has, I have not returned. I have not returned, even though all this is going on. And there's miraculous powers being displayed. And they say he's here in the wilderness. And they say he's here at this rally. He's here at this back room. He has not come yet. Those are unbelievable, unreliable reports. And what I believe Christ's teaching here to his disciples, what he's talking about here is that there will be no mistaking his return. So do not believe the false reports. He's telling them, you're going to hear many false reports. Do not believe them. I'm telling you, there will be no mistaking when the Christ comes. When I come, you, you will have no doubt. And it is totally awesome. I can almost get chill bumps thinking about it. Now look what he says. Letter E is his unquestionable return. His unquestionable return after these unreliable reports that we're not to believe. Notice what he says. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, what is lightning? Lightning is sudden. And lightning is seen by all, isn't it? You can put that in like there. This is the unquestionable return of Christ. In other words, you're going to hear all kinds of reports. Do not believe them. But when I come back, it's going to be just like if lightning flashes in New Jersey and they can see it in Montana. I'm telling you, everybody will see it. I will fill the sky. It will be sudden. It will be awesome. You will have no question knowing that's what's going on. Nobody in the middle of a thunderstorm in the middle of the night is fooled by lightning, right? You know exactly when the lightning comes. Woo! So bright, it was, and you say to each other, did you see how bright that one was? And then you know right away, depending on how close the lightning was striking, how the awesome thunder comes. That's what he's talking about. Don't be deceived by these reports. Don't be received, deceived by the birth pains. Don't be deceived by all of the cataclysmic events that are happening. Don't be deceived. The abomination has to take place. The great tribulation time is kicking into high gear and then like lightning fills the sky. And, and it's like our Lord is almost getting ahead of himself in the passage here because he's going to continue to talk about what it's going to be like when he returns. But he's like compressing some thoughts here about what's happening. And so I think verse 27 and, like, and likening his return to lightning because it is sudden and it is seen by all. It is unmistakable. 
It is unquestionably his return. He goes on then in verse 28 to emphasize the point with a very strange verse. Verse 27 again, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You will not miss it. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. (laughs) What in the world does that mean? I take it, and there's evidence from extra-biblical literature and within even uh, the book of Job, for example, there's inference that is evidently a proverb that the Jewish people understood. Or they, it, was a, it was a saying that their great-granddad or somebody used and everybody kind of knew what it meant. So wherever the corpse is, there the vulture will gather. Yesterday afternoon, Janet and I were driving back from Beckley, West Virginia. We were at some meetings at Appalachian Bible College. I've been staying very involved there these days, helping them as much as I can. And, and we were driving. It was a beautiful, clear day, October, like we've had here this weekend in West Virginia. It's hard to beat, isn't it? And we're driving up 81 up the Shenandoah Valley, heading home yesterday. And, and I could see way up there, just a dot, and I knew it was a vulture. It's way, way up there. And he was just soaring on the wind. And you've seen him, haven't you? And what's he doing? He's looking. What's he looking for? He's looking for a dead corpse. And some of you have noticed as you've gone along the road and you've noticed over the field, over such a way, there's sometimes four, five, six, sometimes a dozen big old turkey buzzards circling overhead. And what do you know? There's something dead there. If you drive by, you see them, some on the ground, some hopping around, some bumping up in the air, others circling, because where the dead corpse is, there's where the vultures are going to circle. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a proverb. It's tied in immediately after the idea of this obvious return of the Lord like lightning. The idea is that it is very, very noticeable. You will have no trouble seeing that vultures have gathered Let me just read what I wrote that's in your notes. Commentaries uh, debated what this says. The closest I could come to it is this idea that it is likely portraying the incredible darkness and devastation and death and chaos and carnage of sin that litters the earth after these final days of great tribulation and the bold judgments. The earth will be characterized as a dead corpse at that time. That sin has taken its ultimate toll. And that chaos reigns. And just like vultures are circling to come down on the carnage and the death and the devastation of like a bloody battlefield where the corpses were left out in the sun to bloat. It's going to be that obvious that this is the battlefield of the earth and, the, and you will see it happen. I don't really know how to explain it any better than that because I'm not sure exactly what our Lord meant. I take it that, that Peter, James, Andrew, and John got it. And the Bible doesn't explain itself on the point. But it's something very obvious. And he likens the destruction of the earth to a dead corpse at that time. And his coming will be like, and I hate to equate Jesus with a buzzard because I don't think that's a good parallel. But just like a buzzard comes to the carnage, Christ will come upon this scene and you will see it happen. Immediately after the tribulation, verse 29, of those days, the sun will be darkened. Here it is. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and 
The powers of the heavens will be shaken. I don't know what Astro Bob's going to do with this, but here's the unfolding of what our Lord says. Don't let the birth pains fool you. You have to see the abomination. There will be great tribulation. Just like lightning fills the sky, I will fill the sky. And when that tribulation time closes out, here's what's going to happen immediately. Immediately after this tribulation in the bowl, final bowl judgment pours out of those days, the sun will be darkened. I guess it would have to be immediately. And immediately after that, our Lord is coming. How long can the earth exist with the sun blotted out? I think Astro Bob didn't paint a bad enough picture even. I'll bet it'd be zero by five o'clock tonight. It's just unbelievable what the sun does. But notice, and we just list this now, remember... You need to note that Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 13 and he's quoting from Isaiah 34. So these would be verses that the disciples would have read before and they knew about them. And our Lord is equating that prophecy of old in a, in a dual manner. He was talking about the destruction of Babylon there in one of those passages at least. And he's applying it to the last days before his return. First thing he says, bullet point number one, is that the sun and the moon will be darkened. It's what Revelation 6-7 says when John received his revelation, said the earth, the sun will be darkened. So right as the Lord comes back, or I don't know if it'll be four hours or six hours or 24 hours or how long will it be. We have examples in scripture, don't we? Particularly with the ten, with the ten plagues of Egypt where God darkened the sun and made it go dark. We have other examples in Scripture where God darkened it in the middle of the day. But the sun will be blotted out. I take it that the heat effect from the sun would change. But you've got the sun and the moon darkened. And then you have these stars falling. Revelation chapter 6 says the same thing. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Because the moon doesn't have any light of its own, only from the sun. So it's logical that the moon would not show. and It would, be, it would disappear in the dark night that would be present even in the middle of daytime and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be if the heavens will be shaken so the sun and moon will be darkened the stars will fall and the heavens shaken planetary chaos of some kind it's interesting when you look at the the way the word for that idea in Isaiah 34:4 where Jesus is quoting that the the heavens will be shaken that's translated in Isaiah 34, that same thing. In the ESV, it says the heavens, they will rot away, decay. It's the idea of some kind of a decay or ending. Now, that gives the idea of a process of time. I didn't take time to examine the Hebrew word deeper. The NIV translates the same part there, rolled up like a scroll, rolled up like a scroll. Now, some people get the idea there that as there's planetary disturbances and the stars there's evidently like shooting stars going on and the planets are knocked out of orbit and then the idea from Isaiah where the NIV translates it's like the rolling up of a scroll some people see in their global nuclear cataclysmic war that happens I mean, you've seen pictures of their test bomb sites where they have the, the cloud just kind of rolls or on site, on the ground, they have cameras that were buried in the ground and there's like this rolling back, the dust and everything just whoosh and everything just rolls back. We have other indicators that, you know, a third of the oceans will turn to blood. 
A third of the earth will be burned up. It will happen in Revelation 16. It talks about that. Salt water and fresh water will turn to blood. Is that nuclear radioactive fallout? A third of the earth burned up? How's that going to happen? How is the sun going to go dark? How's the moon going to go dark? How's this planetary disturbance going to take place? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. But I know this. The one who spoke them into existence can alter their function anytime he wants with another word. Colossians chapter 1 says that by His Word, all things hold into existence. In other words, all Christ has to do is give a word of His mouth, and everything, all of the physics of the universe would be altered. Everything that we've counted on. The reason that we could sail a boat ever since Columbus in 1492, and how we can fly an airplane today because of the stars being in the right spots. And we can navigate, and the, the magnetic power of the earth, everything is stable and constant because of the word of the mouth of our Lord Jesus. And all he has to do is give a whistle, and it'll change. With God, nothing is impossible. You can mock the passage. You can mock the thought of that kind of disturbance. You can say it would be utterly impossible and it will take a couple billion years for the sun to burn out. And I'm telling you that in a nanosecond, Jesus Christ can shut it off. No problem. No problem. And he's telling his disciples, when you see this stuff happen, that's when it's getting really close. It's happening. Sun and moon darken, stars fall, heavens are shaken, planetary chaos. And then this interesting phrase that Matthew gives, and he says, Then will appear, verse 30, in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Sign in heaven. There will be a sign in heaven. What is that? And I tell you, that phrase has launched more speculation. On the internet, writing, imagination. What is the sign in the early centuries, early uh, Roman Catholic theologians in about the third century, they, they taught that the sign of Christ that would appear in heaven would be a huge white cross that was in the heavens and everybody would be able to see it. Well, they just made that up. I guess the sign of Christ is a cross. So if the sign of Christ is going to be in the heaven, it would have to be a cross, wouldn't it? What is the sign of Christ that's going to be in the heavens right before he comes? I have no idea. It doesn't say. Many commentaries that I rely upon, they're conservative Bible teachers, um, believe that what it is, it is, just the, it is just the momentary changing of the atmosphere and the sky of Christ himself filling the sky. We know that he's coming back with a multitude of heavenly angels. We know that it is going to be an unbelievable spectacle when he comes. The entire world, unilaterally, simultaneously, will all at once be able to see our Lord Jesus like lightning in the sky come back. The book of Revelation clearly says he doesn't come back as a baby in a manger next. He comes back on a great horse, a great white horse, as a conqueror, and he has a sword from his mouth. The sword is evidently the word from his mouth. And with it's just a word, he will devastate, as it were, a mighty sword, all of the armies of the earth who have turned against Israel and have gathered for that great battle of Armageddon. He'll wipe them out. And he's coming back with a multitude of angels. One of the things the angels are going to be doing, we see it towards the end here, is they will be gathering the elect, those who were saved during that tribulation period. He's gathering them up. I don't really understand that exactly. So I just put down that I think, I think it's questionable, but I think it's possible that the sign in the heaven will be Christ himself. 
If the sun's not glowing, if the sun is out and there's no moon and there's no light, all of a sudden the entire atmosphere that we know of as the heavens above us is going to begin to glow because the light of Christ Himself will be unsuppressible. And He will fill the whole world with light from Himself. And somehow there's going to be like lightning going on. It's going to be like the, like the, the most awesome lightning shower going on. And, and um, what's, the, um, what's a shower? Uh, uh, meteor shower, meteorite shower going on. It'll just be zinging and zagging and it's just light. And it, is that the sign of Christ coming and His angels? Well, they have light. And it says then that people will see this and they will be in great distress. Verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know you have implied. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 16, a couple different times. When the big bold judgments are being poured out. And even right there, do you see it? It's implied. I think it's implicit in the passage that they will see the Son of Man coming. They know who He is. They know that it's their end and they refuse to believe in Him. And so their wailing will be because of the horrible condition they're in. Remember Revelation 16 in the bold judgment says that they're gnawing on their tongues in pain, that their flesh is melting off of them. Maybe indicative of nuclear fallout, I don't know. But they are in horrible distress. Their bodies are covered with sores. They see him coming in the sky and they still refuse to acknowledge that he's the Christ. Incredible, sinful, wicked stubbornness. People will be in great distress. Christ will be seen globally. Revelation 1.7 says that. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I'm telling you, it's going to be something you can't even imagine to see the Lord come back. Verse 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. The second coming of Christ is going to be a, a loud event. It's going to be really loud. It's going to roar somehow. You describe it as a trumpet sounding. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Angels will be everywhere present. Jesus referenced that in Matthew 16 when he spoke prophetically of his return there. There will be a loud noise, a trumpet, and there will be the gathering of the elect, those who are in Christ. I'm telling you. This is going to be some event. I do not believe the church will be present. I do believe his focus is on Israel, particularly, although Gentiles will be saved during the tribulation period, that seven-year period. I believe that the marriage supper of the Lamb will be taking place during this time. I believe that it's pretty clear in Scripture. Even in Revelation 16, it references it's it's quite clear that the the church will be part of the multitudes of heaven coming back with him. To establish his kingdom. We will be with the Lord forever. So for wherever he is. There we will be. The Bible's very clear about that. You know I suspect though. A lot of this. We can hold to our positions. We can debate. The timing of some of these things. The Bible gives us limited information. Really. When it's all said and done. Although we are commanded to, to seriously study it. We're even given a promise in the book of Revelation that those who study these kinds of passages will be blessed because of it. Remember how the disciples were given clues by Jesus, even direct statements of prophetic 
happenings that will take place for his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and they didn't get it. And then after the resurrection happened, their eyes became clear, and it was like, oh, oh, how come we didn't get that? We read it all because we know the end of the story, and we think, how could the disciples not get that? And I, I suspect it's a little bit like this. When we observe the second coming of Christ one day, I trust from a heavenly perspective, we'll say, oh, there it is. It was right there, exactly the way he said, there it is. How come we couldn't get it? How could we debate over that? There it is. It will all be clearer. But one thing that Jesus is telling his disciples there that day is, do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. It hasn't happened yet until these things unfold. And then when it happens, it will happen so loudly and it will happen so clearly and it will fill the sky so thoroughly, you will not mistake my coming. Don't you worry. You don't have to worry, guys. You can't miss it. You will not miss it. How do you respond to this? Clear back. Weeks ago, I had drawn at least four observations from our Lord's beginning, opening set of the passage on the birth pains, the wars and rumors of war and famine and earthquakes, these signs that the end was getting near. Look in verse 4. Our Lord says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. One thing for sure is we must stand strong. The word is conviction there. Conviction. We must stand strong. Do not be led astray. Do not be led astray. Do not be deceived. Romans chapter 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jews first and also to the Gentiles, everybody else in the world. Don't be embarrassed of your Bible. When you read this stuff, don't be led astray. Here it is. Let's discern to the best of our ability, and that's the next point. Think clearly. That's what it takes. Look at verse 4 again. See that no one leads you astray. To not be led astray, number one, you have to stand strong with conviction. Number two, you have to think clearly with discernment. And it is easy in this area to just get all wound up in conspiracy theory and all kinds of things. And the Internet is endless. And... and Teachers and preachers, some well-intentioned, some charlatans, teach on the end times and the last days, and it is absolutely bizarre what they come up with. Just, here it is, watch, you won't miss it, going to fill the sky. Stay calm, look at verse 6b. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. We're living in a time where we're going to see unfolding events that are pointing to the Lord's return. Stay calm. Of all people, the church should be calm. It doesn't mean we might not have difficult times. It doesn't even mean we won't be martyred. I don't believe we will enter the tribulation period. But I believe that it is totally possible that the church could be harshly struck by the sword of persecution. And that even in our own country in days ahead, we could suffer greatly for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, stand with conviction, have discernment, but be at peace. Stay calm. Be at peace. Peace is the key word. You remember what our Lord said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3? They were talking to him about his return and the fact that he was leaving them and they were upset. And he said, what? Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And that's where he said, in my father's house are many rooms, mansions, abodes. 
And I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also forever and ever and ever. What's there to worry about? I remember one time the guy guy at IBC that used to do dynamite and blasting for construction was telling me. He said he was down in a hole and they were setting a blast on a construction site and the guy looked down and he was pretending that he was going to flip the switch and make it go. And the guy looked up. He said, I looked up at him. I said, you can't threaten me with heaven. They can only harm the body, Jesus said, right? And he said, do not fear those who harm the body, but fear the one who can cast your soul in hell forever and ever. And really, that's the number one way you can prepare for these last days is to make sure you've been to the cross of Jesus Christ and you've laid down your sin and you've accepted the free gift of his salvation and you've transferred your sin and guilt and slime of messy life and all the ways you violated God and his word and Jesus Christ took it upon himself, paid the debt, and he gives you back his righteousness. And you're born again. You're a child of God. Unbelievable. Join heirs with Jesus, secure for all of heaven, sealed by the Holy Spirit. What do you have to fear? You can't be threatened with heaven, can you? And finally, number four, don't give up. Endurance, verse 13, look what he says. And because, uh, uh, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Listen, whether it be during the birth pain period, the birth pangs, or whether it be uh, those who are born again in the tribulation period and are living during that time, Endure to the end. There might be times where we really have to endure. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What a spectacle it's going to be. What a wonderful, marvelous teaching from our Lord Jesus. Will you stand, please? And let's close in prayer. Well, Father, would you help us to keep our eyes on Christ? Help us to stand strong with conviction. Help us to endure to the end. We don't know the day or the time of your return. We are certainly want to live with a sensitivity to the fact that you could catch away your church at any time. And Father, would you help us to live holy lives in Christ Jesus? I pray if there's someone here who needs to cast their cares upon you today, maybe they have a spirit of fear because of the news that they're watching Would you just quiet their hearts and let them know that you love them and that you're in control and the Lord Jesus is in control. And Father, if there's someone here who's under conviction of their sin and they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, would you help them right now to just call out, admit their sin, believe that Jesus is the Christ, confess Him as Lord of their lives and be saved today, right now, before it's everlastingly too late. Father, help us to be a faithful church. Help us to be a confident and strong church. Help us never to be embarrassed of our Bibles, Lord. Guide and direct us through your spirit as we continue to discern these teachings of our Lord that are not easy, but are very helpful. It's in Jesus' name we pray, asking for your blessing as we go. Amen.